welcome back to another episode of Your Mom on Drugs. Uh, my name is Josh Klaus, and I'm here with my mom. I'm Jennifer Seltzer. Yep. My mom is a PharmD, doctor of pharmacy, um, and I am a lowly undergraduate in neurobiology, um, as well as my master's in public health. Um, and we are here to basically talk to you about drugs, um, usually the kind that get prescribed to you, you can take over the counter. Um, and what they do to you, what they don't do to you, et cetera. And uh, we are both in Texas, and this summer has been incredibly hot. Incredibly hot. (laughs) (laughs) So we figured we would do an episode on sunscreen, and sunscreen is one of those things that I know um, can be a bit divisive. I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, what SPF should I use? How much should I use? What brand should I use? Which types are good? I'm, you know, there are so many questions that I never thought to ask until um, we decided to do an episode on sunscreen uh, to get some sun protection. Um, and so um, we should talk about, you know, sunscreen. First of all, why do we use it? Um, so, Mom, I'm going to turn that over to you. So what is the what's the point of sunscreen? Well, I think we need to first go back to, you know, yeah, like you, like you said, why on earth do we need it? And I think it's, it all starts with ultraviolet radiation that's coming from the sun and it comes down and, and constant exposure to ultraviolet radiation, if it's cumulative, can cause long-term problems and the problems that it can cause you can have sunburn. That's more of a, that's more of an acute problem, but the long-term problems that you'll see with, um, continual exposure to ultraviolet radiation are what they call photo aggravated skin disorders. So it's going to be premature aging of your skin as well as skin cancer. And interestingly, as I was doing this you know, preparing for this presentation, also exposure to these um, these um, uh, ultraviolet wavelengths can cause cataracts too, and stuff, which I thought was quite interesting. So there, so again, we're wanting to do things, and you know, when when you were a kid, and when I was a kid, especially when I was a kid, the focus of putting on sunscreen was definitely not there. And it started, you know, probably as, as I, I'm a parent to your generation and it's certainly gotten progressively better since that time. So sunscreen is definitely one component that can be used to help protect people from the effects of ultraviolet radiation. So let's talk before, I know you want to, I know you've got a question, but let me, before you ask my question, let me just talk about the the different types of ultraviolet radiation. There are three three bands of UV light. They are UVC, ultraviolet C, ultraviolet B, and ultraviolet A. Ultraviolet C has the shortest wavelength, and then then ultraviolet B, and then ultraviolet A. And would you clarify for wavelength, it's very much like what you think about like an ocean wave, like the top of one crest to the wave to the other crest. That is what we call wavelength. And there is a relationship between the length between two waves, the wavelength, the shorter it is, the more energy it carries. So light is in a, we call it the electromagnetic spectrum and the spectrum covers radio waves which have the longest wavelength, their wavelength can actually be the size of a house. They're very long. And then it goes all the way down to things called gamma rays, which 
their wavelengths are incredibly short in the terms of billions, if not um, trillions of, uh, of a meter. Um, and UV light is in the nanometer, in, in the hundreds of billions of, of meters. So it's incredibly small wavelengths, and they can pack quite a bit of an energetic punch. So these bands, UVC, B, and A, are broken up in terms of their wavelength just the way that red, orange, and yellow and the colors in the visible spectrum are broken up because red is a certain wavelength of light, so is orange, and so is yellow. So we're dividing them. Is, do I have that correct? Right. Okay. Interestingly, all the, like, you, like, like Josh said, the UVC wavelength or the, the radiation from ultraviolet C, it's the, sh it's the highest energy, shortest wavelength, but most of UVC light is, is blocked out by the ozone layer in our atmosphere. So we don't really get the effects of it so much because it gets blocked out. So the ones that we're most concerned with are going to be UVB and UVA. Um, it used to be thought that only UVB B was um, a contributory factor to skin cancer, but now it's also been found that UVA also is as well too. And other thing too that some people might be thinking about is, well, isn't UVB associated with vitamin D conversion as well? And the answer is yes. It does um, allow the vitamin D in our skin to get converted to the active form so that we have good bone health. But we have so many foods now that are vitamin D fortified that th that sun exposure is not as imperative anymore as it used to be and stuff. So that's a, kind of a good thing to know as well, too. Yes, and I know that there are people out there who have genetic deficiencies in forming vitamin D um, from the sun as well, and so those people have to get it from their diet as well. And I think it also impairs your ability to make vitamin D with with UV when you're blocking uh, UVB exposure. Uh, but we we're going to be talking, we'll talk about we're going to talk about this later. But it really depends on the UV index. And, you know, basically how prone you are to the intensity of these UV rays. And definitely early in the day and later in the day, you should be getting natural light exposure um, for just different biological pathways to be activated um, inside of your brain, um, mainly having to do with your circadian rhythm. Um, there's a guy who's, you, who's super famous. His name is Andrew Huberman, and he talks very much about getting early and late light exposure. Um, and you definitely need some natural light exposure, but if you're going to be in the sun for an extended period of time and you want to lower the odds of getting these long-term, you know, photo aging effects, uh, then applying sunscreen is going to be a good way to mitigating, uh, against that risk. And if you care about vitamin D as well, like, like mom said, you can definitely supplement that with some vitamin D. Right. Um, one other thing, let me just add as we're giving kind of this background information is the UVB light is the light that is most associated with getting the, the redness or the erythema that's associated with a sunburn and stuff. And so, um, but, it, uh, but it, it, it's not just that, but because of that, it can also cause skin cancer. I've got one fun, fun, sobering fact. Um, um, in one study, 
it showed that if you have five or more blistering sunburns, and we've all had that awful sunburn that we're like, oh my gosh, this really hurts. If you have five or more of those between the ages of 15 and 20 years of age, it increases your risk of melanoma by 80% and the risk of a non-melanoma skin cancer by 68%. Now that was one study, you know, and I've, 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 confess that I didn't read all the details of the study stuff, but, um, yeah, cause I, cause I could see that as being people who are essentially just out in the sun. And if you've gotten five more of those intense burns, you're probably a person who's just going to be going outside and not really applying a sunscreen. Right. Well. If, you were, if you were out, if you're a guy and you're out with a, out a shirt all, and you get a huge sunburn right. on your back or whatever and stuff. So, yeah. So I, you know, again, just, and again, that's that I, I say that just for effect and the fact that it's it you know having protection against against the sun is important. It doesn't mean you don't get to go outside. It just means we need to be wise while we do it. Correct. And we have definitely talking about quality of life. I mean, because the best way to avoid uh, sun exposure is to stay out of the sun. Uh, but who wants to do that? There's so much beautiful life to experience. Um, you, yeah, you can also wear clothing. That's probably the best way to do it. Uh, but you're not going to wear long clothes all the time, especially in a summer in Texas. Um, and again, like when we talk about risk, um, these are not binary outcomes. You know, anytime you're talking about things like sunburn or cancer or any type of disease state, it is going to be a risk that you're going to you know, accrue because you always hear the person, especially about cigarettes, be like, well, my grandmother smoked cigarettes and she lived to be 102. It's like, okay, well, she dodged the bullet, but there's hundreds of thousands of people who didn't. Um, and so you're anytime that you're exposing your body to certain chemicals, you are essentially just playing roulette um, with some damage that could potentially be done to your DNA that will eventually cause cancer. But we're going to get to cancer in a bit, and I think we should start with the low-hanging fruit because this will actually kind of lead us into talking about how SPFs are created, but let's talk about uh, sunburn. And that's uh, arrhythmia is the, uh, not, not arrhythmia, it's uh, erythema? Erythema. Erythema. Erythema or arrhythmia. Not arrhythmia. Yeah, yeah not arrhythmia. That's a hard thing. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, let me just give you some other little kind of interesting pearls as well, too, about kind of that relate to sunburn. Yeah. Some people might think that they don't need to use any protection if the clouds are out. But that is not true. The sun can still penetrate. These UVA and UVB lights can still penetrate through clouds. Maybe not as much, but they're still there. So we need to be aware of that as well, too. And this was a really interesting thing that I learned as well, too, as I'm preparing this, because Josh and I always learn new things while we're doing this. Um, water, water only reflects about 5% of ultraviolet radiation. And what I mean by that is that it's going to move it away from you so that you're protected against the sun. So that means that 95% of the UV, UV radiation, you know, light from the sun can penetrate water. So that means that you want to have sunscreen on while you're in the water. And you also want to count that as part of the time that you are being protected against the sun as far as reapplication processes with the sunscreen that we'll talk about in a bit. So again, water is not a protector against the sun. Also, like Josh said, dry, dry clothings will reflect most of it unless you're wearing something really thin that might 
you know, um, cause the sun to penetrate through. So you got to be, just be aware of what you've got on. Um, and interestingly, the windshields and cars are designed to protect you against UV light, but the side windows aren't. So if you have some sort of a sensitive, you know, skin condition, or maybe you're taking a medication that causes you to be more sensitive to light, then you might consider putting on sunscreen even while you're riding in a car. Well, I think we should talk about sunburn in general. Like I think, I think a lot of people think that the mechanism of getting sunburned and getting skin cancer are, are the same or synonymous, even though the cause might be related. So I think it would be good to talk about that um, in terms of, you know, what is sunburn? Um, and um, and I can definitely speak to that if and it's like so, I've got a little bit, but I okay. bet you can add a lot. Yeah, more. you can add some context. Okay. So let's differentiate because I think a lot of people when they put on sunscreen, they're thinking, oh, I'm putting this on either to prevent me from getting sunburn or to diminish my risk of potentially getting a melanoma or carcinoma. And um, we'll talk about what each of those means. Let's go with sunburn. So if you think about your skin, your skin is not just one thing. It's a layer of things. And you you have something called your epidermis, which is the thin outer layer of your skin. It's super thin. It's actually only a couple of Uh, cell layers thick. And as a reminder of what a cell is, a cell, your body is composed of cells and they're essentially these spherical or circular um, entities that contain this very liquid inside that's mostly composed of protein and nucleic acids, fats, and sugars. And nucleic acids are things like DNA, which is your genetic information. So your body has about 100 trillion of these, and uh, there's different types all throughout your body that do different jobs. Um, so the job of your, epi- your epidermis is it's this dead layer of, ske- of, of cells um, because they're no longer living, uh, but they still have this protective barrier around. But they have no blood vessels because they're dead. They don't need blood, so you don't need that. Um, so actually, when you get sunburned, um, that UV light, is essentially getting through your epidermis because the the wavelength of the UV light is so small that it can get through that epidermis and it can actually stimulate blood flow from your dermis, which is just below your epidermis. And that can stimulate a massive amount of blood flow that basically creates this pinkish hue. And if that it gets stimulated enough, you're essentially going to get kind of this red cooking effect, which is what we call a sunburn. And it's kind of when you've lost a lot of the water that's in, in your skin, um, as well as increased blood flow to that area. And it's very uncomfortable because there's also a large immune response to that as well. We have a lot of cytokines, which are these cells in your immune system that rush to that area. And that's why it hurts. It's creating this inflammation effect um, going to your skin and, and your sunburn. So, And we call that erythema which is that that effect of moving blood, you know, from basically this, you know, dermal area kind of in between to the epidermal area. Uh, anything to add to that, Mom? The only thing I would add to that is that some sunburns can be really severe and people can get really sick. Um, if you get real, you think about a burn, if you got burned by fire, you know, and stuff. Well, I mean, some people can blister. I mean, you can have some swelling with your sunburn, but you can also get fever chills and even shock because you've lost so much 
you've got you've had you've had such a in, in, an increase in your body heat as a result of the sun hitting it. So that we don't see that that often, but again, it's just something to be aware of, especially with, you know, your younger children and stuff. And just to make sure that, you know, you do protect them because they could, you know, get, you know, sunburn, maybe even worse than, than we are because of their little delicate new little skin and stuff. So, um, so I would just add that as far as the sunburn is concerned. Yeah. And I think from the sunburn part, we should talk about, you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, now, okay, I want to stop from getting burned. That doesn't sound very good. What SPF should I use? And what is SPF in general? So I think we should talk about how SPF is defined because I think it's a little counterintuitive or people don't really aren't really aware of how it's calculated. Um, so mom, you can fill in my gaps wherever. But so SPF stands for sun protection factor. And when a sunscreen manufacturer is creating a sunscreen, what they'll normally do is they will get a test subject. And usually it's a a light-skinned person, so usually someone of Caucasian descent. And they will expose parts of their skin, usually on their back, to UV radiation. And then they will see, you know, basically the energy that it takes to turn that skin pink. And then they will send that person home. And then the next day, that same person comes back and they apply a basically a healthy dose of, of sunscreen on the other side of the back, their, maybe their left side instead of their right side. And they expose them to UV radiation. And then they, they do that until they turn pink. And then they come back the third day to compare the two. And the energy that it took to basically cause the skin to turn pink on the sunscreen application side versus the non-sunscreen application side, they divide that number. So for example, if they if it took 250 units of UV light on the left side with the sunscreen and it took um, 10 units on the side with no sunscreen, you would divide 250 divided by 10 and you would get 25. And so that would be an SPF of 25. Now they do this with multiple people, so you can get an average. So an SPF is just an average of this between the people. But you can imagine that it's incredibly variable. You can have someone who's super tan, who who's get brought in, and their SPF is gonna be different than someone who is super pale. So your SPF actually depends, it's really personal. So it actually depends very much on your skin tone. People who have darker skin tones are going to have a higher individual SPF than someone who's Caucasian. Um, anything to fill in there, mom? A um, couple of things. Um, that number that when he's, ta- when Josh is talking about that dose of UV light to cause that red, red, the, the skin turning red on that test subject, they call that the minimum erythema dose. Um, so not that you, anybody, but just just, the med, med. that's right. And then, um, another thing to add to that is that, you know, we talked about sunburn, but let's just make mention one, a few things about sun, sun tanning, you know, because 
when I was young, I, that was my, that was the focus of my life was to get a suntan. And I wish I'd listened to my father. Um, but was he telling you don't do it? Oh yes. <laughs> um, my nose peeled and burned. I don't know how many times. So, um, so, um, ultraviolet radiation stimulates melanocytes. Those are, those are the cells and Josh is going to do a better job of describing the cells than I do, but they have the color in our skin. And so the sun, so the, the ultraviolet radiation and, and some of us have more of those than others that can be activated. And so that's responsible for us tanning so that the, the light from the sun will stimulate that and it redistributes melanin in our skin. And so we get changes in our skin color because of that. Um, and ultra UVA and UVB both contribute to sun tanning, but please listen to this. Tanning does not protect you from skin cancer or premature aging. It's just one of those factors that, that you're, that you just have because you have more melanocytes. It also doesn't protect you from future sunburns as well either. So. Well, that, what, that's surprising. I mean, but wouldn't it, but wouldn't it, um, like if you were more tan than someone who is pale, wouldn't it take a longer time for you to get sunburned? Yeah, I'm not saying that, that it couldn't pale? delay the sunburn, but it doesn't prevent you from getting sunburned. That's true, because I know that that people who are, have black skin can also get sunburned. They can. Yeah. And they're all, you know, those with darker skin, they are not precluded from getting skin cancer at some point down the future. So if you're, I mean, again, you're applying sunscreen for multifaceted reasons um, to prevent sunburn in a lot of us and also to prevent those that premature aging as well as skin cancer down the road. Yeah. And we should talk about premature aging for a bit. Like what is aging? I think that's a catch all term, but when we're talking about that, we are talking about, uh, <laughs> there's no way to put it. This is looking old. Yeah. And it's this, that you have these, you have a couple of proteins in your skin that really promote to the tightening of your skin. Um, the main one is collagen. Um, the other one is elastin. Um, and collagen, you've probably heard this before, either, you know, from, you know, doing Botox injections or even you can, you can ingest collagen, um, by eating things like jello, like gelatin is a derivative of collagen. Um, and when the UV light is essentially shining on your face, um, it does damage to that protein and it essentially loses its collagen is a great water absorber. So it essentially it, it takes a lot of water from your body and it kind of makes it your your face kind of balloon out, but in a good way, it makes everything look really tight. But once it loses its ability to do that, your skin starts to sag a bit. So when you see an older person um, like myself, as I'm as I look in the mirror every day, you see the tightness kind of going away. Um and funny enough, you if you look at an old person's skin on a place that doesn't get exposed to a lot of sun, like maybe you know underneath their pants, their skin is just as elastic as a young person's. So it really does have to do with sun exposure and sun damage. So if you really want to prevent that aging look, um, it is really a good idea to put, especially sunscreen on your face um, and a good sunscreen. And we'll talk about what a good sunscreen is a bit later. So- you're thinking, okay, so the higher the SPF, the better. and Or maybe I'm thinking for you. But the answer is yes. The higher the SPF, the better. And there's been this myth that's gone around um, that is like, well, there's a marginal difference between SPF 50 and SPF 25, for example. Because if you divide 1 over 50 
you're going to basically block out 98% of the rays. And with SPF 25, it's one divided by 25 and you'll block out like 96. So 96 to 98 is not that much. But as they actually get the math wrong. It's actually one minus those things. So essentially with the SPF 25, you might block out 6% of the rays or you might, yeah, you might leave, you might protect yourself all but 6% of the rays. And with one over 50, you'll block out all but 3% of the rays. So it's actually double the amount of protection. So it, like you don't want to look at the large numbers. You want to look at the difference between what you're blocking out. So 6% is twice as much as 3%. So you actually want to get a higher SPF that is comfortable for you and actually you feel like you can apply. And that's the other thing I'm going to bring up next is that most people don't apply the amount of sunscreen that they use to generate the SPF. Like the amount of sunscreen that is used in the lab to, to what we talked about with the med um, is like this generous dosage that no one would ever do. And it's, it's this, uh, and people would feel slimy and gross when they do it. So most people don't apply enough. That's a problem too. So what you want to do is knowing your comfort level with sunscreen. Let's assume that you like an SPF of 30. You should probably get an SPF of 90 because the the way that most people apply sunscreen, they usually get about a third of the benefit. So you actually want to be getting something that's maybe two or three times higher than you would normally buy at the store. I did not see that confirmed in the literature, but um, that that may be a, a, a way to do it. There's also reapplying it more frequently. And that's definitely, definitely recommended and stuff. And we're going to get to that, you know, in just a few minutes and stuff. So let me just, let me just reiterate what Josh was talking about as far as FPF, SPF is concerned. Um, So while we do have this calculation to determine our sun protection factor, there are other ingredients in a sunscreen. So it's kind of a collective um, determination of a sun protection factor for a sunscreen. So um, there are a few other things, and I that that wasn't elaborated in the literature that I looked at. So, but you do have a sun protection factor fifteen. You have one that's 30, 40, 50, and sixty. But above sixty, it's really not recommended without um, just more. Um, you know, maybe a, a you know maybe there you have a unique circumstance and stuff, but most of us would be able to tolerate, uh, you know, the you know forties and fifties and stuff as far as, and so and so the SPF fifteen blocks ninety three percent of UVB lights, UVB light. The SPF thirty blocks ninety six point seven percent of UVB, and then SPF forty blocks ninety seven point five percent. Right, and what you want to do is you don't want to look at the different. You want to look at the difference between those numbers. Yes, and and, and if is that double or triple? So, like for the SPF fifteen, if you take. 100 minus 93, you get 7%. So it's giving you a 7% protection factor. Uh, With an SPF 40, you've got 100 minus 97.5. So you're getting 2.5. So then you look at the difference between 7 and 2.5. It's almost threefold. That is correct. And so you would would be so much better of getting the SPF of 40. Um, And and another thing, being in the public health world, if everything worked out the way it did in clinical trials and laboratory, that would be great. But most 
honestly, one of the problems, and my mom can attest to this, is that there's the way that theoretically things should go, and there's the way that people actually take their drugs. And a lot of times when doctors prescribe medications to patients, whether it be sunscreen or any type of medication, it's hard to get the patients to take the recommended dosage. Either the side effects are so severe that they don't feel like they can keep up with it or they forget, or it's like it's too much information all at once. So sometimes, even though in the laboratory it says you this one thing, you have to look in the real world application and say, okay, well, if people aren't applying this sunscreen to an adequate degree, are we going to say that you're wrong? Are we going to go to recommend, hey, maybe you should get a higher SPF, put on the same amount, and you might get the same effect. So yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those things where you kind of have to do what's best for you. Like you'll put on an SPF, and if you don't get sunburn, like okay, you probably did a great job. Um, that day. Right. Let, let's also talk, let's not forget to just mention just again, this is definitely not a podcast about skin cancer, but the, the three com- most common kinds of skin cancer that are associated with sun exposure are melanoma, basal cell carcinoma, and squamous cell carcinoma. In 2012, there were 3.5 million cases of basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma diagnosed in the United States. And in 2019, there were 95,000 melanoma cases. So you can see the discrepancy. There's a lot more of basal cell and squamous cell carcinomas. Basal cell carcinomas are limited to that epidermis level that Josh was talking about. So that top layer of the skin, and they rarely, if ever, metastasize. Um, squamous cell carcinomas are going to go a little bit deeper and they only metastasize in 4% of patients. Um, Can we uh, clarify what metastasis means? Oh, it spreads. So metastasis is when it spreads from that local cancer site and it can get in your bloodstream or your lymph node. And so then it gets, it gets spread out through the rest of your body. Right. Cause some places to have cancer are better than others. And if it's on your skin, that can be easily removed, but if it's in your liver, uh, then that's going to be a much more invasive surgery and procedure. Right, right. And so, um, so then, like I said, you know, melanoma, it, it, it's the most deadly of the skin cancers. And um, um, most of them arise from, from normal skin, but 30% of them can, ar- can arise from moles. And remember, if you've heard about melanoma, it's got the, the alpha mnemonic that goes along with it, A, B, C, D, E. So again, if you're looking something on your skin and it's got what they call an asymmetric shape, so that means it's not perfectly round, it's kind of weird shaped. Um, if its borders are irregular or not clearly defined, if it's got color variation within the same lesion or change in color, you know, if it was one color one day and then now it's different color, you got to be concerned about that. If it's diameter, if the, if the distance across it is larger than six millimeters, so it's going to get be a little bit larger. And then if it, if it, if it, evolves or change. If a mole evolves or changes, you want to just contact your doctor about that and stuff. So just to give you a little heads up about that. Well, that's really good advice. And for any of you, uh, you know, word nerds out there, we're talking about carcinomas versus melanoma. Melanoma is, oma is the suffix and it stands for basically cancer. And, and, um, and then melanoma stands for Mel- basically a melanocyte or melanin, which is 
as mom talked about earlier, is the pigment or the color producing cells in your skin, which cause certain people to be tan or black or brown or whatever. Um, and then carcinoma, uh, carcin is, is essentially just a catch all term for cancer, like carcinogenic, it's cancer causing. And, uh, carcin is actually, it comes from the, the Greek word for crab. And because a lot of when, when Greeks were looking at cancerous growth on people, they say, oh, that kind of looks like a crab and, uh, on, on the skin. And if you know anything about the Zodiac signs, like, uh, the sign of the crab in the sky is cancer. And that comes from the ancient Greek or the ancient Latin and Greek for uh, crap, which is a really interesting thing. There so, you go. Yeah. Little pearl. So, um, okay. So um, I, I'll just, I'll just mention very briefly, we're not going to go into this really, but know too that if some medications can make you what we call photosensitive, that means you're going to be more sensitive to getting sunburned. And you could talk with your pharmacist or physician if you're prescribed one of those. And again, you're going to just be want to be more sun protected if you're taking one of those. So um, what would be an example of a medication that someone would be taking to make them more sensitive to the sun? Um, tetracycline antibiotics. Um, they definitely make you more sensitive to the sun. Um, some, um, diuretics, um, like furosemide that have more of a sulfa kind of component in it. It's going to make you more sensitive to the sun as well, too. There's a long list of them. I'm sorry. I don't have it memorized. No, it's okay. Is there so, a understood mechanism for why that's the case? Uh, yes. So there's actually two different mechanisms. One is called phototoxic and the other is called photoallergic, which is less common. So the most common one is phototoxic. It's not an immunologic immune system type response. And it happens because there's an increase that the UVA light um, reacts with certain medications within the skin. And so that increases then the skin sensitivity to sunburn. Okay. So when you take a drug, some of that drug, because it just goes everywhere. Right. And some of it, because it's carried by the blood. Right. Will get into your skin. And because the, the light interacts with that drug or the metabolite, or how the drug is broken down, it will basically, the sun changes its shape because of the energy of the sun. And then that will basically cause it to be somewhat toxic. Right. Okay. That's and, really interesting. And, and I know I thought it was really interesting. And it's also, it's concentration dependent. So that means that if we were all able to get the same concentration of the drug in our skin, then we'd all have the problem. But more, some people are just more sensitive to that than others. Gotcha. So some people have receptors in their body that are more sensitive to that toxic metabolite from the sun, from these certain types of drugs. Or maybe they just, for whatever reason, the way their body has broken down the drug it goes into their skin more hmm. than others yeah, and stuff and so yeah, then the, then the, the uva light is going to interact with it more more commonly yeah that is so interesting that makes me think that man I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole on this but like you know there are just certain days where you feel bad or you feel good and you really don't know why and i wonder if it's because like well i ate that pizza pizza last night and it got into my skin and the sun is interacting with it <laughs> it's it's amazing it's just Who amazing knows? how many things yeah how variable human beings are um that's pretty incredible that yeah you would take something it gets into your skin um and then you could potentially feel sick from that yeah it's so interesting so okay we've talked a lot about kind of you know 
why on earth we, you know, get sunburn and kind of, we've kind of, kind of, kind of touched a little bit about what to do about it, but let's really now talk about what to do about it. And again, like Josh talked about, avoiding sun exposure, if you can, is a good idea. And especially between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. because that is when um, I believe it's UV, the UVA and UVB lights are the most potent. And so that between 10 and 4, if you'd, you'd like to stay outside, away from the outside or be protected as much as possible. Um, wearing protective clothes clothing like wide-brimmed hats or long sleeve shirts or wearing sunglasses. Remember, I talked about the fact that you can also get cataracts from being exposed long-term to the sun. And again, it's because the UVA and UVB light can get into the cells in your, in your eye. And it, it's, it's, it's beyond the scope for us to talk about it, you know, here and stuff, but that it can cause sun damage to your eyes as well, too. It takes time for that to happen as well. Um, and then, um, the other thing, the next thing you want to think about is uh, you don't go to a tanning salon. Tanning salons actually have more UVA and UVB light put out than the sun itself. So they can be more damaging over time. Well, it's also, it's just more concentrated because you're literally right there at the source, right? right? Because, you know, this, obviously the sun is huge, but it's 93 million miles away. And some of that is just, and it's also the earth is a huge place. So a lot of that's just going to get spread out to different places. But right. You're literally there in the bed. Right. Yeah. So not a good idea to do that. And then uh, if you can stay in the shade, you know, um, when you're outside as much as possible, that's also going to help. Yeah, it's funny because I actually read that the shade isn't as protective um, as people think. It's be, it, the shade will protect you from the heat, like the, because uh, the heat from the sun is not due to the visible light of the sun. It's actually due to its infrared rays, which are invisible rays that have a longer wavelength than visible light. Um, and that is where the heat comes from. So a lot of times you are in the shade, and you're like, oh, I feel so much less hot. But actually the UV rays are actually still getting through. Mm. So even in the shade, it's it's still good to apply sunscreen, especially if the UV index is still fairly high. Right. And I think that what I'm saying, and I think what Josh is alluding to as well, too, is that there's not just one thing to do to pr pr to mitigate these um, photo aging type um, ex uh, exposures, but there's, there's several things that you can do concurrently at the same time um, to help protect yourself um, and, and, and your kiddos too, if you're a parent, you know, and stuff. So. Yeah. And I, yeah, especially with the kiddos too, like the incidence of melanomas or carcinomas in kids is relatively low, almost non-existent, mainly for the reasons that we talked about is that cancers are usually happen over a long period of time. It's like if any of you own a car, if you hear that sound in your car and you ignore it for the next five to 10 months, then that whatever the wear and tear that's happening in your car is going to build up. And over time, it could potentially, you know, snap you know, um, you know, either transmission lines or whatever you're essentially talking about in your car. And, um, the, the same thing happens in your body. Like it, you essentially, anytime that you go anywhere or do anything, um, you are accumulating certain types of damage in your, in your body and your body's quite good at repairing a lot of that damage. But if it can't keep up 
with you know the repair to damage ratio um, is imbalanced, then yeah, that's going to accumulate over time. And there are things that you can do, like mom said, to mitigate that amount of damage. But it's also not, it's not fail safe. You know, you could do everything right, put on all the sunscreen, wear all the long clothes, and you could still get a melanoma or carcinoma just because, just like someone who maybe smokes one cigarette or even is around secondhand smoke can still develop some type of lung cancer. So a lot of these aren't guarantees. They're just ways to tampen down the risk. Right. Um, uh, as far as sunscreen is concerned, only sunscreens with a sun protection factor of 15 or greater have been shown along with, if you use them with the other protection factors, those are the ones that can reduce the risk of sun, of skin cancer and premature aging. Um, but if you have a, and I don't know that I've really, well, yeah, I mean, in the old days, like baby oil, you know, or Hawaiian Tropic with nothing in it, that would definitely not protect you at all. So anything with a sunscreen with a value of two to 14 may only mitigate sunburn, but it's not going to have any effect on skin cancer or premature aging. Yeah. And sunscreen, remember the SPF factor really just correlates or corresponds to your sunburn, your ability to burn. So it's actually quite a bit of bonus that you get to, um, diminish your risk of skin cancers as well, because they're, they're caused by the same thing, which is UV light that like you, uh, sunburn they're caused by the same thing, but they have a different mechanism of how the damage is accrued. Yes. Um, another interesting thing about sunscreen itself is a, is a, is a word called substantivity. Um, um, and so, um, it's spelled S U B S T A N T I V I T Y. And what that means is it's how well does the substance stick to your, to your skin. Um, so that's going to be, uh, it's going to determine how well the sunscreen will, or how effective the sunscreen will be long-term. And either if you got prolonged exercising, swimming, or just sweating in general. So, and those, those products that are more cream based. So they're kind of a water and oil, you know, kind of as a base um, are going to be better at staying on your skin than something that has an alcohol base because alcohol evaporates a lot faster. That's a really good point. I think getting into, this is a really good topic to get into what sunscreen is and how it should be applied and why do we apply it? So like mom said, go ahead. I've got one more point before you dive into that. So with this, with this, you know, thing about this substantivity, um, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I, I put sunscreen on my kids, you know, and stuff, but just never knew enough about it. So when you look at, at sunscreens, it will tell you whether or not it's water resistant or not. And it has to do with this substantivity ability. And it will tell you it's either it, it is water resistant for 40 or 80 minutes. And so sure enough, when you look at sunscreens in the grocery store or at the, at the, at at Walmart or whatever, you definitely see that it says that on the bottle. And so again, then you're going to want to use that guide as to how frequently you reapply it because it's only going to be water resistant for 40 or 80 minutes. And we'll talk about reapplication in just a minute. Yeah. And, and by water resistant, do you just mean that it's going to start becoming water soluble and it'll just and get a wash into off, the water you know, and wash and, off? And then you're going to be at greater risk of getting sunburn and, and the sun effects. Gotcha. Okay. 
Yeah. And we should, yeah. When sunscreen, a lot of them um, basically have this kind of, uh, except for the sprays, a lot of them have this lotion like uh, consistency to them. Um, and if you look at the inactive, let's just take a look at some of the ingredients in sunscreen and we can talk about, you know, I can do that now if you'd yeah, like, please. Okay. So, all right. Um, yeah. So we, I think people are probably wondering is like, all right, sunscreen's great, but how does it work and what is inside of it that right. is going to allow it to block out these UV rays? So we have two basic types of sunscreens. They're either a chemical sunscreen or what they call a physical sunscreen. And a chemical sunscreen, excuse me, a chemical sunscreen absorbs and blocks UV radiation transmission to the skin epidermis. So that top layer. So it absorbs it and blocks it from having an effect on the epidermis. Um, And it will absorb at least 85% of UV radiation at at the UVA, most UVA, UVB light, you know, and stuff. So, um, and there are 12 common sunscreen agents in um, OTC, uh, over-the-counter sunscreen products that fall into this category. Interestingly, they, these products, although they're available because they're over the counter and they're in my sunscreen at home, they have not been formally evaluated for safety and efficacy. The studies just haven't been done. Again, because these products have been around for a while and then there's been some concern about, oh, I wonder if it's really safe and effective. So some of that has not been done for these yet. It doesn't mean you're going to die because you're using them and stuff, but there is, there is a lack of information about them. And there's... And there's, there's one point, there's, there's been a couple of studies that have shown actually some systemic absorption of some of these chemicals into the bloodstream. We don't know how to interpret that. And so without a study, you don't know how to be alarmed about it or not. Well, yeah, actually speaking of that study, that study was conducted by the FDA and uh, how they found out the absorption into the bloodstream. Um, the dose that was applied to these individuals to get it into the bloodstream was two bottles of sunscreen over a four-day period. Whoa, okay. Now, the- most people, on average, use one bottle of sunscreen a year. Yes. Um, most people are not very liberal with their sunscreen because it just doesn't feel very, It you know, you, you feel a bit greasy. You feel like, you know, like a buttered chicken. Um, but <laughs> so- Don't you love his, don't you love his, his just his images? <laughs> <laughs> but the I I think a lot of times with with stuff like that, like dose response is important. I remember there was a time when people were saying that Diet Coke uh, caused cancer because there was a study that was done in rats where they gave them an inordinate amount of what's the uh, aspartame, yeah, aspartame, which is the fit, you know the the sweetener, artificial sweetener. Yeah. But they gave it to rats at this absurd level that right. would never be given. Uh, unless you're crazy drinking you diet coke drink. like my mom, yeah, and uh, <laughs> she would have loved that study. And uh, so it's sometimes you have to take a lot of this with a grain of salt or a grain. That's of, a great point. A Josh. grain of sunscreen because yes, it is possible, but on some other planet where you would have to apply two bottles of sunscreen every week in order That's to crazy. survive, and that might yeah. be Venus. Thanks for sharing that with us. The uh, the other type of sunscreen um, is, is, is called a physical sunscreen. And they, these ingredients have been uh, identified as safe and effective by the food and drug administration. And what the, and these are those sunscreens that are, they have kind of that opaque, opaque or kind of cloudy kind of appearance. And it's, it's your zinc oxide and your titanium dioxide. 
Um, and so instead of absorbing U ultraviolet radiation, they reflect it and scatter it away. And so, um, so it, um, you know, the, the older, when I was, when I was a kid growing up, I would just get a tube of zinc oxide, like, you know, it's like Desiden, like diaper ointment, just pour it over my nose. And it was, I had a white nose, you know, and stuff, but it was, it blocked, blocked the sun from my skin. Now these ingredients are more, um, they've got some ingredients added to these sunscreens that are more translucent or they're more like see-through and stuff. So it makes it so, I mean, I actually have a bottle for my grandkids and um, it's got zinc oxide in it, but you can actually, it's, it comes off kind of white, but you can actually rub it in now and it, it and it, then it, you don't see it anymore. So it's not as like, I've got sunscreen all over my body. And again, it's got this me mechanism of being, you know, it, it, def it deflects the sun rather than absorbing it into your skin. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And, um, yes, and they, you might also be here, these as organic or inorganic, uh, where one is containing carbon, their biological molecules or inorganic things like zinc and, uh, um, titanium. Um, these are just, you know, metals that are, have bonded with oxygen. And I know there is some concern with zinc oxide to titanium oxide because, um, the technology now of actually getting them to be a little bit more transparent and fun is that they actually are, uh, they, they're coated in nanoparticles. So essentially they're, they're very, very tiny. And there is this concern that these particles are small enough to not just be able to be translucent and get on the skin, but actually be better at getting into your bloodstream and dioxides are actually, uh, can cross the blood brain barrier and actually can do some damage to neurons. Um, so that, that is just speculative at this moment. It seems more theoretical and some studies would need to be done, but there are sunscreens out there that are non nanoparticle based and you can get zinc or titanium oxides that don't have this nanoparticle technology. It might not be a good feel like when you're rubbing it on, it might not be as, uh, basically as a pleasant of an application ex experience as these nanoparticles as that's what they were designed to do is basically help spread and absorb a little bit is into your skin. Um, but there might be this, you know, that's the thing is like when you're using new technology, you kind of are the guinea pig and you're figuring out if there are risks associated with this new technology. So you, you're just going to have to take a bet um, because there's no evidence one way or the other. Um, it could just be that, you know, speculation on this, or it could be nothing. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there as well. Thanks. Of yeah. course. So, um, a couple of last areas to talk about before we wrap up today. First, uh, is dosing uh, or administering sunscreen. And so the recommendation is actually a whole ounce of sunscreen and you, and, but it's broken up. It's not like a whole ounce, like on your leg, but it's like, it's like a teaspoon per leg and a half a teaspoon per arm, a half a teaspoon for your face. And you may end up kind of doing that, you know, and stuff. So, um, but, uh, just, but realize that you've got to put on a sufficient amount for it to do the work that it's, it's intended to do. And then, um, you also want to apply it 15 to 30 minutes before you're going to be exposed to the sun and reapply it every two hours, unless you get exposed to water or excessive sweating, or you dry yourself off with a towel. Any of those then will requ require you to reapply the sunscreen again. So to keep it, you know, uh, you know, working and stuff. Um, as far as a couple of special, was there something you wanted to add to that, Josh, before I move on? Uh, I just wanted to say, yeah, because the, when you're 
you, you want to think about sunscreen almost as like a thin layer of paint. Like when you're painting the room, it's the, the paint isn't getting absorbed into the walls. It's basically just covering the surface of the wall. And um, you, because that makes sense because you want to limit the amount of UV light getting to your skin. So what you want to do is you want to coat that on. You want to let it dry because it basically forms that kind of extra layer on the outside of your skin. Um, and then that is going to provide that protective benefit. And being in Texas and also being myself, I know I'm going to sweat. Uh, and it's very hard to reapply sunscreen once you're sweaty because sunscreen, by definition, doesn't mix with water very well. Right. So you're uh, going to have to dry yourself off to put the sunscreen back yeah, on. Yeah. But at the same time, you might just get that early benefit prior to sweating. Um, and, and that's still better than nothing. Uh, but, you know, you know, right. if, if but you, that, that whole re- reapplication thing, and he's still young and he doesn't know what it's like really to get premature aging or be at risk for skin cancer. So again, he probably should still reapply that even if he does sweat. That's true. But it's like, imagine, but you have to imagine that practically because being in, like I play soccer every week. And so like, if I went out and played soccer, I'm going to sweat in the first five minutes. Yeah. So you're like, hold on guys, just a second. And then by putting it on and they go back out again, hold on, I got to do it again. So at some point it's just not realistic to reapply. I think if you're in a place, I think if you're in a place where it's just really bright and sunny, but it's not very hot outside. And I've definitely been to some of those places where I'm like, I'm not sweating, but it's the sun is really intense right now. The UV index might be, you know, nine to 12 or something like that then I think that's when it's really good to reapply it. Um, but I, I think when you're in a place like Texas, it's going to be really hard uh, to do that. Um, and it's probably better just to wear clothing that can block you from the sun. Right. Um, and Josh has mentioned the ultraviolet index a couple of times. Let me just tell you what that is really quickly. Um, it was it was a number or an index that was created by the Environmental Protection Agency in the United States. And what it does is that it rates the amount of ultraviolet radiation that reaches the Earth's surface at a specific time at a specific location. And the time of day, the season, altitude, as well as land cover all affect this index. And there, as the rate increases, then your exposure risk increases. And so there's actually a table that tells you whether or not you're at low, medium, or very high, you know, risk for um, being exposed to UV, UV light. So just a little aside there. Yeah, that's a good point. I think also people's intuition doesn't go along with the UV, UV index. Like the hottest part of the day is usually around three or four in the afternoon. But actually the time that the UV index is usually the highest is around noon because the sun is usually directly above you. Um, and so it's sending as many rays as it can. Um, so sometimes UV correlates with the hottest part of the day, but sometimes it doesn't. Um, and usually heat is infrared rays instead of UV rays, which causes that premature aging and sunburn and stuff. Excellent. So let's talk about a couple of special populations and, and application of sunscreen. Uh, children are our first category. And re, uh, children less than six months of age, little babies, they really should not be exposed to the sun. You want to keep them shaded or covered up as much as possible. And applying sunscreen to them is also, that would be up to your pediatrician because because their skin is so new and it's so... Um, 
absorbable, that um, applying a sunscreen, there might be some absorption that you don't want for your kiddo. And again, just because we don't know, that would be a conversation that you'd have with your pediatrician. So again, it's just keep them out of the sun as much as possible. Keep them covered up if they are in the sun. We all like to take our little babies in the pool and that's fine, you know, and stuff and all, but just be wise as you do that. Yeah. If they're out there for a long time, maybe just put a little sun hat on them. Right. Um, you know, floaties you know so keep, that their keep, whole body's yeah, covered keep up keep them in know? the shade yeah and i yeah. think because you're really trying to prevent them from burning um, right rather than skin cancer and aging i mean that's gonna happen although you are later. really ultimately josh actually you really are trying to keep them from skin cancer and aging because that's a remember it's a long-term process and the more we protect our kiddos at the earlier age the better they'll be protected long term true but you also like you said with the absorption thing you don't yes. You know, it's like you're, uh, you're just like mitigating a good, yes, different yes, risk you're at right. different Excuse times. Me. You're right. Yes. But you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, you're the parent and you have the choice to do what you want for your kid, you know? So you're right. And like, you wouldn't want to give your kid a cigarette at one, you know? Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Cause that's going to only set them up for potential lung cancer earlier on. Um, yeah. So it's all about that, um, you know, different risk at different times of life. Right. And then kiddos over six months of age, you definitely want to use sunscreen. And um, I would recommend those sunscreens that are more water resistant, you know, that have that greater substantivity and you want to use at least a sun protection factor with 50, a 15 or greater and stuff. So um, you want to do reduce their skin cancer chances. Um, the other category of special populations is pregnant and lactating women, lactating meaning breastfeeding women. Um, uh, the, the, the first choice is to avoid the sun but you would then, uh, if you want to be out in the sun, you're just going to be wise with um, discussing with your healthcare provider sunscreen choices that you feel like would be safe for you. And probably the best options are you're going to be your zinc oxide and your titanium dioxide because they have been considered safe. They have been classified as safe and effective. Yeah, it's really interesting. In Europe, um, it's actually, they they it's quite the, I wouldn't say the opposite, but they they have a lot more, um, organic or chemical um, um, additives in sunscreen that they've actually approved to be used over in Europe, but for some reason it hasn't caught on in the States, and I don't know why. Uh, but it just seems like, yeah, the zinc oxide and titanium oxide uh, were the ones that have been approved by the FDA. And I think just being a little more cautious uh, with the other ones just to make sure. Because cancer, unfortunately, is a very... It's a long-term disease, so you have to monitor a population for a really long time to get really conclusive evidence. Like the first amount of evidence that we got for smoking causing cancer, I think, was in the '50s. I think it was this study that was done, and and it was just done over an incredibly long period of time. And even like tracking traumatic brain injury with uh, football players took a really long time because it didn't pop up immediately. It happened later in life. Huntington's disease is the same way if you want to look that up. It's one of those genetic diseases that doesn't happen to usually women um, until their 40s or 50s. Um, and it's, so sometimes it seems really cut and dry, like, you know, oh, it should give you cancer or not. It's like, well, there are so many factors that go into somebody's life that it's hard to isolate variables. And you can't do experiments, be like, well, we're just going to stick right. you in a tanning bed for six months and see what happens. That would right. be very cruel. Um, I wanted to bring up, because I know some, some people are people are just a little more skeptical of anything pharmaceutical. 
and like they don't want to use it because they prefer the natural way. So, well, didn't we evolve to be in the sun? Like, you know, why are we using these things to protect us against ourselves? And maybe it's actually causing more harm than good. And there, there's this great epidemiological study that was done with this natural population because you're looking at people. Oh, you you want to look at two populations that are similar but have different behaviors so you can isolate variables. And if you don't think that the sun has any role to play in sunburn or cancer or aging or whatever, well, you have to look at people who primarily spend their time indoors and primarily spend their time outdoors. And you look at construction workers, people who work in fields, et cetera. And you look at compared to people who work mainly indoors, people who work in mines, people work inside in offices, et cetera. And you can compare, first of all, you can, you can, randomize it so that you put enough people so that most of the variables are constant, like things like age and gender and race, et cetera. So that none of those things are going to, those things are going to be controlled. And then if you look at the variable, the independent variable is, uh, or is a dependent variable? Yeah, it's the dependent variable. And, um, which is going to be sun exposure. The risk of skin cancer is just so much greater than in the group where they don't get exposed to the sun, which indicates that the sun really does play a role. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, how am I going to protect myself? And I think that should be your choice. Like you can use sunscreen or not. We don't care. We're just giving you information. But just be aware that, yes, it would be really nice if we had natural mechanisms against the sun. And I think sometimes you can do that by... um avoiding the sun or potentially wearing clothing, um, if you consider that natural. Um, but just know that if you don't wear sunscreen, that you are just going to be increasing your risk of, of some of these maladies. Uh, but at the same time, if you use sunscreen, um, especially ones that you know could be deleterious to your health, like stuff that hasn't been approved by the FDA or um, even stuff that might have the nanoparticles or, um, there were actually even a couple of sunscreens that were found to be toxic and they're not included in sunscreens anymore. Right. So that, that, you know, that definitely did happen. Exactly. So it's, it's really, it's, it's not a, you don't have to be on team sunscreen or team non sunscreen. There is, there, there is a sunscreen out there that will probably work for you if you want to use it. And if you don't want to use it, that's fine. But remember that, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And it would be really nice if nature was good to us. Uh, but sometimes uh, she's just going to she's gonna watch us burn. Well, that's kind of a segue into let's talk about a little bit about what's mis misunderstood about sun sunscreens, okay? The, some sunscreen myths. The first one is that sunscreen alone is enough to prevent sun can skin cancer. And that's false because like Josh said earlier, no sunscreen blocks 100% of ultraviolet light. And there's also other, other risk factors for skin cancer in addition to UV exposure, like he also alluded to. You could be immunosuppressed or you have a family history of skin cancer or you're genetically predisposed. So, um, the second myth is I have dark skin, so I don't need sunscreen. And that is not true. Although increased melanin, <coughs> pardon me, although increased me melanin does pro provide some protection against UV radiation, studies have found that UV radiation does still induce damage to the skin in all skin colors, it doesn't matter what skin color you is. So, so no skin color or skin type is completely ultraviolet resistant. 
Yeah, um, I, and I would have to look at the data on this, but I'll bet you that the incident rate of melanoma or carcinoma is lower in people with darker skins, but it doesn't mean that you you don't, don't have the chance. It might just lower your risk of getting it, but you still have a risk of getting it if you yes, don't apply sunscreen. Yeah. So, um, third myth, a baseline tan is protective against skin cancer, and that is absolutely not true. And again, remember we talked about avoid tanning booth devices because they're more dangerous than regular sun sunlight. They emit UV radiation at higher levels than what's found outside. Um, and they they emit more UVA light than UV UVB light. Remember, a, UVA light promotes tanning and premature aging, and UVB promotes sunburn. So, but both can cause damage to the skin and cause um, an increased risk for sun, skin cancer. Interestingly, interestingly, a tanning salon is similar to applying SPF three or four. So again, it's only maybe going to prevent sunburn, but it's definitely not going to prevent, it's not going to protect you against skin cancer or premature aging. Gotcha. That's really interesting. Okay. We talked about this too. Uh, sunscreen prevents my daily vitamin D need. Um, and so while 90% of your vitamin D production is due to UV radiation exposure, um, Studies are really contradictory on looking at whether or not there's a really an adverse effect on vitamin D um, by putting on sunscreen. Um, that you know, some of them said yes, some of them have sound, said no. So we don't have really a definitive answer to that yet. And like we mentioned earlier, there are so many other vitamin D sources in our food now, and as well as taking just vitamin D supplements in general, that you're we're probably most of us won't become vitamin D deficient. Yeah. And there's actually, you can go on Amazon and actually get a vitamin D test kit. Like you can test how much vitamin D is in your body and there are recommended levels that you should have in your body. Um, and if you are below that, um, you should either a be getting more sun, you know, especially early in the day or B you should be supplementing with vitamin D and you know, you can get, you know, between 3,000 3, to 6,000 international units, you know, pretty regularly. And I don't, we, then we might do that in a future episode of um, the difference between, you know, basically the vitamins, like does dietary vitamin D, does that get to the places that it needs to go just as effectively as making it from the sun, you know, cause it has to go through the mouth and it has to get metabolized, go to the bloodstream, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it, is it as effective of getting in and, um, but that's going to depend on the individual, which is why you should probably get some blood work done and know how much is in your body. Um, you can have a fun little test you can do before and after you'd like, you know, do it early in the morning, see what's going on, go out for the day and then test it again and then see how much vitamin D you've got. Um, and, and you can, you can understand, um, yeah, that. But to mom's point, yeah, you will lose some of that ability to make vitamin D with the UVB light. But also due to sunscreen application, most people don't apply as much as they should uh, just because it doesn't feel very good. Um, and so you'll still make some um, throughout your body because most people don't cover their whole body with sunscreen. So remember your whole body, whenever it's ex whatever part of your skin is exposed to the sun, it's going to make vitamin D. So if you only got your face and you didn't get the back of your hands, then that's still going to make the vitamin D. So it just depends on what, what you cover. Right. Um, I liked this next one. There is sunscreen in my makeup, so I don't need to apply sunscreen. 
And usually makeup only has a sun protection factor of 15 in it. But as Josh has been alluding to, we usually don't put enough makeup on to have enough sunscreen, sun protection factor in it to protect us against sunburn. So we should use sunscreen in addition to our makeup. Unless you're in a beauty pageant and then I yeah, think you're then, set. Yeah, then it's caked on. <laughs> um, sitting under it, I liked this one. Sitting under an umbrella is better than applying sunscreen. Well, an umbrella can block the direct UV, UV rays, but guess what? It doesn't block the rays that reflect off the ground. Think about when you're at the beach in the sand or water and stuff. So having the, the shade with the umbrella plus some sunscreen is going to be your best bet. Um, and then all sunscreens work similar, similarly, so it does not matter which one I use. This is not really the, tr the, the the case. So like we talked about, you've got physical versus chemical sunscreens, and then you've also got people with sensitive skin. So you need to look at the ingredients if you've got sensitive skin to make sure that you don't apl apply something that could be bothersome. It is recommended that the, the, one, the sunscreens with zinc or titanium in, it, in them are better for people with sensitive skin. Yeah, and one of the 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 world experts uh, based out of Newcastle um, for sunscreen and just you know photo aging recommends a broad spectrum sunscreen because remember most sunscreens are just there to prevent you from getting sunburned, but with a broad spectrum sunscreen, and I would recommend also ones that are um, free of oxybenzone because that has been had small links to leaking into the ocean and causing some coral reef destruction. That really only applies if you live next to a coral reef. So if you live in Florida, if you live in Australia. Um, but uh, yeah, broad base sun, uh, protection. And I um, he recommended that you should have a mixture of chemical versus physical. So you should have a bit of zinc oxide or titanium oxide with some of these other safe um, organic um, uh, molecules inside. And by organic, I don't mean like organic at the grocery store. Organic is a chemical term, meaning it, it's, it has a carbon-based structure to it. And some of those, um, some of those um, chemicals can be found uh, to be safe and effective on certain websites. Um, you can look at some of the sunscreens in, in Europe that are sold either by L'Oreal in France or by Boots in the UK, and they list their ingredients there. Um, and they haven't been formally approved by the FDA, but you can still get them in the U.S. Um, and you can just compare the ingredients because they've been, if you're fine with what's been approved in France and UK, then you can still get those things here. You know, they just, you know, they just haven't gotten the stamp of approval um, by the Food and Drug Administration. Um, and broad spectrum, when Joshua talks about broad spectrum sunscreen, it means that it covers it protects against both UVA and UVB light. Correct. So, um, the last little myth that um, I came across was that I do not need sunscreen on a cloudy day. That is an absolute no, because up to 80% of UV rays can pass through clouds. So know that that's, that's not a protective um, thing. So, so here are some takeaways for our discussion today about sunscreen. Um, we want to avoid exposure to the sun and other sources of, of ultraviolet radiation, such as tanning beds and booths and sun lamps. So that, again, minimizing our exposure to the sun is going to give us, a, you know, better skin when we turn 65, you know, so, and also less chances for getting skin cancer. 
Uh, the sun's rays are the most direct and damaging between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. So try to avoid getting exposed to the sun during those time periods as much as possible. Or if that's not possible, at least use some of the protection factors that we've talked about. Sunburn can occur on a cloudy or an overcast day, as we've mentioned. So you want to be aware of that. Um, and wearing protective clothing um, is a good idea. Uh, like tightly woven fabrics that won't allow the sun is going to be good. Now, like Josh says, I mean, it has been a hundred plus degrees in Texas all summer long. Finally, we're getting a little bit of a break from that. So, I, but I have still seen the construction workers in Texas wearing long sleeves because it's, it, you know, it's just protecting them from being, um, getting sunburned and, and uh, skin cancer. Absolutely. Um, when you go to the beach or if you're at the pool, try to use a beach umbrella whenever possible to, as a, one of those mechanisms to reduce your exposure to ultraviolet radiation. Remember that water and wet clothing will allow transmission of ultraviolet radiation to your skin. So if even if your skin is completely submerged in the water, you still need to count that time as part of your sun exposure time because the water does not protect you, you know, but only 5% against ultraviolet radiation. Um, try to look for a sun protection factor product with a 15 or greater to give you greater protection against, um, long-term effects of skin cancer and, um, and, uh, uh, premature aging, but also sunburn as well. And I would say, I would say on that, the, the lighter your skin tone, I would say get a higher SPF because remember SPF is calculated by the amount of time that it took for you, your skin to burn with or without uh, sunscreen. And if you're a darker skin person, it's going to take a lot longer. So you might be able to get away with an SPF of 15 to 30, whereas someone who's a little more paler might need a 50 uh, to a 75. And then also remember your application method and that it might not be as thorough as the laboratory conditions. So you might want to, you know, get something a little bit higher um, to increase the concentration of that inside of it. Just a reminder, as Joshua just mentioned a few minutes ago, that broad spectrum sunscreen product. So if you can find one that has both the chemical as well as the physical sunscreen components, that's going to be your best bet, especially in people who have a sun-induced disorder. So like maybe you are... Um, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm not even thinking of what a sun-induced disorder would be right now. Um, I, I apologize. I was talking about like... A Phototoxicity or photoallergy? It, uh, well, yeah, but it's not taking photosensitizing drugs because that's a different thing. But yeah, you could have a photoallergy. I guess if you're in the sun, you can definitely have issues associated with that. And then if you want to just reduce your sun exposure as most as possible, so that broad spectrum product would be the best for that. Um, make sure you apply it at least 15 minutes before your sun exposure. And then that whole thing about the one ounce of sunscreen over your body, um, don't put it in your eyes, um, but you want to put it over your face, neck, arms, shoulders, the front and back torso, and each leg and the top of your, don't forget the tops of your feet. And men, especially, or gals with short hair, don't forget your ears and the back of your neck. Yeah, the back so, of the neck is the one that always gets me. Yes. Um, remember, we want to use a sunscreen that's the most substantive or is the most water resistant so that it will stay on your skin for as long as possible. Um, and reapply it according to the label instructions, 40 or 80 minutes with the water resistant products. And then at least every two hours, if you're not uh, being um, exposed to water, but you're just sweating or just outside just for that maximum effect. 
um, remember that you check the expiration date for a sunscreen product because they can expire. Oh, personal experience with my younger son had it used him, gave him sunscreen all over his back, went to South Padre, poor child got extremely sunburned. Check the expiration date. Um, snow and sand reflect ultraviolet radiation. So you want to take proper precautions if you're skiing or at the at the beach. You want to make sure. Yeah, I have a funny story about that. My uh, my college roommates. We went on a trip uh, right after we all graduated, and we went to um, we went to Mount Rainier in Washington in May, and it was it was literally covered in snow. Uh, and we did this hike that was just covered in snow, and. When we got back to our place, I looked at my friend and the bottom of his eyebrows were completely burned is because the sun was shining really bright that day and reflecting off of the snow. And so literally his his eyelids and eyebrows were just completely charred. And it was, oh my gosh. So this really is a, if you are in a place with really reflective things like sand or snow, yeah, it really can happen. I've, I've seen that happen to my friend and uh, we've talked about it to this day. <laughs> Um, make sure that you keep your sunscreen out of direct sunlight when you store it because it can, that can reduce its potency. That's how and, it works. Yes. Yeah. Um, and continue to use sunscreen if you're taking a photosensitizing drug, you know, if you're taking a drug that makes you more sensitive to the sun, or if you've got any other types of skin associated, um, sun disorders that, that, you know, just make sure you use a sunscreen. Um, and um, if you develop any type of an allergic reaction to a sunscreen, it kind of goes without saying, stop using it, you know, and then you might need to contact your physician to figure out what's going to work best for you. And that's about it. That's all I got today about sunscreens. Man, I feel like this is such a technical topic for something that I thought was so simple. Me too. I was, I learned so much from this and for all of our listeners, I really hope that you did too. I know there's a lot of information in this episode, um, and we really hope that you learn something and pick a sunscreen that's safe for you and your family. Um, and we hope that you have fun in the sun. I mean, nothing is better than just going outside on a nice, wonderful day and enjoying yourself. Um, and your future self will help, will, uh, thank you, uh, for doing the right thing now. Um, as my mom's looking at me like, yeah, you better put on some sunscreen cause you're going to be my age one day. <laughs> Right. And I'll you tell think, you right you now, think you see wrinkles now, you know, huh? like that's the thing about being a health uh, communicator. Uh, you can often feel the weight of being a huge hypocrite because the amount of times that I put on sunscreen, um, is, is he so, probably doesn't even own any. Uh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> I actually just bought some yesterday. Um, after doing research on this episode, I was like, I need to buy some good sunscreen. Uh, so I, um, I definitely am in y'all's boat where you, uh, it's, it's easy to talk about and learn, but then when you're doing it, you know, you just want to go outside. You don't want to do any of the prep work. So making it a part of your routine will also be super helpful. Um, but also forgive yourself for making mistakes. Even if you put it on one day a week, you know, it's better than zero. Um, so start small and, uh, we really hope that you've enjoyed this episode and, uh, we hope to see you next time. So with that being said, my name is Josh Klaus and I'm Jennifer Seltzer. And this has been another episode of Your Mom on Drugs. See you soon. See you later. That was, so that was fun. Oh, that was really fun.